It's been over 10 years since Missouri was upset by Norfolk State in the NCAA tournament. Let's rip off the Band-Aid and figure out what went wrong, including a terrible call in crunch time that went against Missouri and, frankly, a terrible shot selection by one of the great players in program history. So let's break it all down right now on Locked on Mizzou. You are Locked on Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, all you true sons and daughters, I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso and the central scrutinizer of Missouri Tigers football and basketball. By the way, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Coming up on actual football season, we'll be at five days a week. Soon enough, but for right now, I am fully in off season mode. So, you know what? Since we're in off season mode, let's talk about. The Norfolk State game from 10 years ago. Some of you are probably going, why, John? Why? Well, the answer to that question is quite simple. I like to know the truth. I like to know what happened. And you know what? I went back, watched this full game, and actually, objectively speaking, an incredible basketball game, despite the absolutely heartbreaking finish, without a doubt. And the reality is, you go back and you watch that game, Even though I still consider it an epic fluke that Missouri actually lost, at the same time, Norfolk State on that day deserved to win. And obviously not everything went wrong for Mizzou that day. In fact, they were mostly their usual elite offensive selves that day. But, of course, this being a cataclysmic upset in Missouri history and all, let's start with with what went wrong in that ball game. And I'm going to start with Ricardo Ratliff because after a couple of offensive miscues by Ricardo early, I thought he settled in offensively and was mostly his usual excellent offensive self, especially around the basket. But you know what? As often happened, especially in this game, I thought defensively Ricardo got his lunch, his lunch eaten by, of course, Kyle O'Quinn, a name that should shiver, send shivers down all of our spines at this point. And frankly, that matchup, I thought, limited Ricardo to 28 minutes. Then you have Kim English, who was obviously a phenomenal player in that Big 12 championship run for Missouri. Unfortunately, against Norfolk State, he just couldn't find his shot, seemed a little bit off balance, which is something I thought English would struggle with. When he wasn't finding his shot, to me, his his feet just weren't under him and he was off and off balance. And he probably had more on-court visible arguments with his teammates, too, than he actually had made field goals in this game, one. And you know what? This one actually especially hurts to say, but Marcus Denman was simply not good in the second half of this ball game. Now, in the first half, hey, all systems go. Guy hit down four three, guy knocked down four three-pointers. He was his usual, just fabulous self, but... Again, second half, couldn't knock down open shots, uh, even lost control of the ball on a pull-up jumper that left him and Kim English visibly frustrated in the second half. But the real head-scratcher, though, was a totally, totally bizarre shot selection with 17 seconds left in this basketball game. Now, you see, 
Missouri was trailing at this point by three, has the ball with 34 seconds to go, no shot clock. It can take the last shot if it wants to, but hey, an early shot that's good, I'm all for it when you're trailing in a ball game. But man, Denman catches the ball on the left wing with his back to the basket and basically with no real rhythm, just turns it, shoots it, and misses it. And frankly, Frank Haith's confused face in that moment says it all. Steve Kerr, who was calling the game with Marv Albert, called it a panicked shot, and I totally understand why Kerr said that. Now, as a Missouri observer, I will quibble with that a little bit. I I thought it was a terrible shot by Marcus Denman, but panicked, I can't say that, because here's why. If you watch Denman, how he closed that that game in Allen Fieldhouse that Missouri ultimately ended up losing. The game in Columbia against Kansas that Missouri ultimately ended up winning. Well, Marcus Denman was absolutely out of his mind in the closing moments of those games. So I can understand why he would think, especially back of his mind, Allen Fieldhouse, he didn't get the last shot. Phil Pressey got the last shot, and he was blocked slash fouled at the rim by Thomas Robinson. We can argue about that forever. But I can see how in Denman's mind he thought, I've got the ball, I'm going to make it, I've made it before, and guess what, I'm not giving this thing up and I'm going to shoot it. But with 17 seconds left, considering the quality of shots that Missouri had been getting the entire game, I just thought it was a terrible shot. I agree with Steve Kerr, and and frankly, it was just a bizarre moment that I, I bet Denman probably wishes he had back to this day. But the game is not over. That's one thing to keep in mind. There's still a lot more to be played here. After Denman's missed three, Kylo Quinn gets the rebound, is fouled, ends up making one to extend their lead to four. Phil Pressey pushes it up court, hits a beautiful three way behind the arc to cut it to one with 10 seconds left in the ballgame. Now here's where, if you want to go back and watch a play of this game, a controversial play. This is the one I would watch. With 10 seconds left, Norfolk State, their player Rodney McCauley is inbounding the ball on the baseline. Well, he passes it in, and then as soon as he passes it in, well, his teammate just about passes it right back into him to the point where there's absolutely no chance that McCauley, again, the inbounder, is able to establish both feet inbounds. And yet in spite of this fact, Referee Ed Hightower is pointing down at the ground very confidently saying that, oh yes, no, no, McCauley definitely reestablished himself inbounds. Folks, go back and watch that. He absolutely does not reestablish himself inbounds. So what that should have been is a turnover with 10 seconds left. Missouri should have had the ball down one with 10 seconds to go. Instead, well, Missouri is forced to foul. They end up making both free throws, or excuse me, just one free throw. Missouri trails by two. With 2.9 seconds left, they have to settle for a long Phil Pressey three-pointer that, frankly, under the circumstances, I don't know that you want Pressey necessarily taking that shot. But again, having to inbound the ball deep on your own on the other team's sideline, 50-plus feet away, that's about as good of a shot as Missouri was probably going to get at that point. So I can't complain about that. But my goodness, go back to that with 10 seconds left. I I think overall the officials were were perfectly fair. There was a couple calls that went Missouri's way, including an obvious 
clean block by Kyle O'Quinn that Missouri got away with, made a couple free throws. But still, that call's not close. Ed Hightower should be ashamed of himself. He can't be pointing down at the ground and acting like, oh, yeah, he was in, he was in. That was an absolutely atrocious call and, and cost Missouri a chance, a much, much, much better chance to actually get back in the ball game and possibly eke out a victory. Now, obviously, I just spent a bunch of time talking about how this game finished, but how did Missouri get to the point where a team that possibly should have been a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, well, frankly, they needed a last-second comeback in order to win that game. How did we even get there? Well, I want to talk about that, but first I want to tell you about BetOnline.net, the number one spot for all of your betting needs. It's our favorite place to do business in terms of wagering at the Blocked On Podcast Network. And you know what? They've already got 2023 NBA championship odds up. So if you think you have a feeling about where Kevin Durant's going to go, maybe. Maybe you have just some kind of feeling on the league in general. Check out all the futures there. Maybe you're not into basketball, at least on the pro side. How about football? How about MMA? How about absolutely everything? The 2022 World Cup. Mixed martial arts, horse racing, hey, hockey. I'm sure hockey is up and going despite the fact that that season just just ended. Ah, yes, indeed. The Avalanche, your favorites at 4-1 to one in 2023. So there you go. Check it all out at betonline.net where the game starts. By the way, one thing that amused me as I watched this game back It says in Omaha here that it's the second and third rounds are being hosted in Omaha. So yes, Missouri lost in the second round of the tournament. If you're confused right now, well, you must be a younger listener. There was a very brief period where the play-in games of the NCAA tournament, the NCAA was trying to rebrand them as the first round. Well, now they're called the opening round. So yes, it's now the first and second round like it should be. So Technically, though, Missouri lost in the second round to Norfolk State. There's something you can tell your grandkids just to confuse the crap out of them in the future. But seriously, how did Missouri get to this point? Well, you know, I was prepared again for a we'll talk we'll talk in reality here. I was prepared that a second round loss to either Florida or Virginia. I thought that could happen, especially a team like Missouri that is undersized. They do shoot a lot of three pointers. Well, occasionally you're going to that well's going to run a little bit dry. And in its previous losses to Kansas State and Oklahoma State, actually Kansas State twice and also to Oklahoma State, well Missouri shot poorly in all three of those basketball games. Now, in its fourth loss of the regular season to Kansas and Allen Fieldhouse, Missouri did shoot quite well in that ball game. But obviously, the Jayhawks are a different caliber of opponent compared to Kansas State and Oklahoma State, and especially Norfolk State. By the way, also, Missouri ends up losing to a very, very good Kansas team by one in overtime there. But at the same time, just to give you how give you an idea of how great Missouri was offensively that year, you may hear if you're an NBA fan, the absolutely elite shooters, there's something called the 50-40-90 club. In other words, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Steve Nash, people like that have shot 50% from the floor, 40% from the three-point line, and 90% from three. 
Well, as a team in the 11-12 season, Missouri shot 50% from the floor, 40% from the three-point line, and 77% from the free throw line. So not quite the 90 there at the foul line, but everything else is unbelievable for a team. And by the way, 77% is a really good number there too. You know what? And also the fewest number of turnovers in the Big 12 as well. So that's just how good they were offensively. But man, as much as I love this team, you do have to remind yourself that if that Kansas loss that I brought up and if this Norfolk State thing sandwiched, there was the bread, the meat was the Big 12 tournament, awful painful there. But you know what? Again, let's break this down. How did we get to this point of this painful loss? Well, Norfolk State, you look at it, they played, they were 12-2 and in the conference, played a weak MEAC schedule, but they played the only top 100 teams they played, Marquette twice, once was a beatdown, once was fairly close, where again, Marquette shot 5 of 20 from downtown. That's the kind of game that Missouri, I thought, was vulnerable to. So... The fact that Missouri managed to shoot its usual percentages from the field and still lose, well, see, that's the part that's a fluke. But what is forgotten is that Missouri actually did a lot of things right in this game. Obviously, we had to get that excellent offense somehow, and a lot of it was Phil Pressey. Early on, Pressey was drawing defenders really easily on pick-and-roll drives, getting Ricardo Ratliff layups. Now, unfortunately, Ricardo did have a couple miscues there early, but despite that fact, despite the fact that they were down 15-7 early, Marcus Denman hits a couple threes, followed by another by Flip Pressey, and now it's 16-15, and at this moment, I'm thinking, and all Tiger fans, as they come to their feet, are thinking, okay, that was a cute little run, but the team that, again, probably should have been a one seed is about to assert itself. But man, every single time the Tigers take a lead and see some momentum, Norfolk State has an answer. Often it's Kyle O'Quinn hitting tough shots inside, but their guards, Pendarius Williams and Chris McEachin, they all had excellent shooting games too. But O'Quinn in particular was having an out-of-body experience. Steve Kerr said, I don't know. He's, I don't know how he's making some of these shots, Marv. He's just willing them in around the basket. And later he just put his hands up in his air, essentially, and said, hey, when it's your night, it's your night. And at halftime with the game tied at 38, Frank Haith tells Craig Sager, we're going to zone and double O'Quinn in the second half. Can't let them run offense. Clearly Haith is not thrilled with his defense in the first half. But in retrospect, I'm not sure that doubling O'Quinn was the right call. At times, it seemed like doubling him led to open shots for, again, those hot Norfolk State guards, and the way Missouri was playing offense in that game, just getting excellent shots whenever it wanted every single time down court, with very few exceptions, I just don't think O'Quinn's offensive output alone was enough for them to upset the Tigers. And coming up with Missouri tied at 38 at halftime, let's get into that second half and also... Maybe my surprising conclusion about this game that doesn't really have anything to do with the game itself. Also, what it meant for Frank Haith and Missouri after these quick messages. Now, early in the second half, actually, Phil Pressey committed his third foul, which in the moment was definitely worrisome because 
not only was Pressy playing an excellent floor game, he was also, you know, Missouri's depth was challenged, no doubt about that. Basically, Missouri was playing seven guys that they could rely on that season. And it's one thing to actually just play seven guys in a rotation, but truly we didn't have many more reliable players other than that. No offense to Jared Sutton or Andrew Jones, for instance. But fortunately for the Tigers, Mike Dixon played an excellent game, especially on the offensive end of the court. And ultimately, Pressy stayed out of further foul trouble, not missing too many more minutes other than two or three that he sat out after initially committing that foul. But despite Missouri, for the millionth time, it feels like I've said in this, they played an excellent offensive game. They were also in the double bonus with more than 10 minutes left in the ball game. The quality of shots that Missouri was getting, you just think at that point, my God, how how can this possibly lose? But Norfolk State refuses to yield, and unfortunately there was about a four-minute stretch down the stretch of that ball game where Missouri made some free throws, but they didn't actually score any field goals. And sometimes I think, gosh, you know, as great as the three-point shot is statistically, it's almost like the passing game in football to some extent. Yes, efficiency-wise, the three-pointer, if you shoot it well, just like the passing game, if you pass it well, on paper, it's always going to look better than the running game or the two-pointers. But sometimes when you're closing a game out, sometimes you need to run that football and move the chains. And I think sometimes just getting some easy two-pointers is sort of the equivalent to that. But to Norfolk State's strategy, it really seemed like in the second half of this ball game. They were tired of giving up layups because in the first half, again, Ricardo Ratliff was getting some really easy shots at the rim because Phil Pressey was drawing help, and at the perfect moment, we know how great of a passer Phil Pressey can be at times. He was getting Ricardo Ratliff the ball for some really easy shots. So ultimately, it just felt like, hey, Norfolk State said, you know what? We're not going to win if we're giving up layups all day, but... If we at least make them kick it out for open three-pointers, we at least have a chance for them to miss. There's at least a chance that Missouri could be off. And ultimately, while Missouri shot the ball really well from three-point land, Norfolk State had enough offense, in fact, to hang in there. And that's the part that was truly astonishing. And that's the part that is fluky, in my opinion, because, well, you'd see the next game that Norfolk State ended up getting blown out in the next round. And I think that's probably what would have happened if, you know, give Missouri their share of the blame too. Because early in that ball game, I thought, and Frank Haith seemed to think so too, just the defensive effort, the intensity just wasn't quite where it needed to be. And those early moments, especially with Norfolk State leading 15-7 and then hanging in there the rest of the half, that gave them belief. And it gave the rest of the crowd who was in Omaha Nobody but Missouri fans was rooting for Omaha, including the Kansas fans who were there. So that that hurt Missouri, obviously. You heard an NFS, incredibly loud NFS chants down the stretch there. Most of those weren't Norfolk State fans, people. So, you know, Missouri kind of did it to themselves for sure. There's no doubt about that. Also, you know, while being the crazed Missouri fan that I am, and as I was about to lose my lunch re- even re-watching this game back, the reporter in me can also easily recognize that that was a spectacularly fun college basketball game 
that is really what the NCAA tournament is all about. Just guys who have been together for four years, like like Missouri, just a whole bunch of four-year, three-year players, guys that are friends to this day who are, you know, frankly, in the agony of defeat together and, and just having that experience together. And the uh, the other side is, of course, the, the thrill of victory with Norfolk State and Kyle O'Quinn. And, you know, again, watching this game back, something I, I didn't really remember at the time was how many times they cut to Kyle's dad, Tommy, who seemed like just a, a delightfully likable human being, I have to say. I'm sure while I was watching the game in 2012 when I was 29, I was probably not liking Tommy O'Quinn that much. But going back to it, I, I couldn't help but feel as a dad now. See, I wasn't a dad back then, but now I'm a dad. And so I can sort of imagine like, oh my God, watching my child just having this spectacular, not only just game individually, but hoisting his help, hoisting his team ahead of, you know, the number two seed in the, in the, in that regional. I mean, just what an incredible moment to watch your kid have. And just the whole time he just, it was the contrast was often you see these kid these parents of these kids in the stands and they're nervous and they're, they're chewing their, their fingernails off practically. But Tommy, on the other hand, Tommy O'Quinn was just very positive the whole time and going saying stuff like my man and he's got it. And I, I couldn't help but smile a little bit at that, despite despite obviously the, the horror of that finish for a Missouri basketball fan. And also, you know, I, I think we're what we saw there again, I mentioned how much I love this Missouri basketball team, despite the sad inning, despite the sad ending excuse me and well Kyle O'Quinn a great example of something we may be missing out today too a guy who had one scholarship for division one basketball was from Norfolk State he ends up going there and he says as a senior on the squad he said I felt like I got to pay these coaches back for the only scholarship you know and he obviously he paid them back big time with his performance not only in that season, they won the conference, but just an incredible performance by O'Quinn to upset Missouri, unfortunately for us. But, you know, as as likable of a guy as Kyle O'Quinn is and Tommy O'Quinn were, I, I was interested and had to look up. I was just more interested in Kyle O'Quinn. I remember, in fact, in 2016, just by chance, my wife and I were at an Indiana Pacers game. They were playing the New York Knicks. And who was there? but Kyle O'Quinn. And for a moment, I definitely had a flashback of, oh no, wait, is that Kyle O'Quinn from Norfolk State? I whip out my cell phone and of course, yep, that's him. He's followed me to Indianapolis. I thought that was interesting. But one thing I, I didn't realize at the time as I was considering going full Robert De Niro and possibly going crazy on Kyle O'Quinn, I'm kidding, folks. One thing I didn't realize at the time there is that was the middle of Kyle's first season with the New York Knicks, and his dad, Tommy, moved from the Deep South to New York City, and when Kyle, excuse me, when Tommy was coming back from a family reunion in 2015, just three years after this incredible victory, well, unfortunately, Tommy died in a car accident, returning from that family reunion, driving back to New York City. Now, Tommy, 
obviously that left a gaping hole in his family's life and in Kyle's life. And it's a real sad deal. And that, that kind of hit me like a ton of bricks when I read that, because you just <clears throat> had seen this guy who was so full of life and enjoying his son, having his crowning moment in the NCAA tournament. It just makes you realize, man, life is so short, isn't it? And unfortunately, Kyle had one of his crowning moments by signing with the New York Knicks, his hometown basketball team, for a life-changing amount of money, too, about $16 million total value, something like that. But unfortunately, Tommy, while he got to see his son's crowning moment against Missouri in college, never got to see his son play for his hometown New York Knicks. So that was a sad deal, but also a very happy deal at the same time that he got to see the crowning moment of his college career. So I just wanted to say that while as a Missouri fan, obviously just a devastating loss. And, and for Frank Haith, frankly, professionally, not only was that a devastating loss for Missouri's program, but professionally, if Frank Haith wins that game, if Missouri can just pull that out somehow in the, in the closing moments, I really think he gets more, a lot more rope. I think he probably does get a contract extension, what, two years later, something like that, where he ultimately ends up going to Tulsa because he doesn't get the extension he feels like he deserves. I really think if Missouri wins that game, Frank Haith is at Missouri for a longer period of time. In fact, there's a non-zero chance that it works out for Frank and he's still here. Not impossible. I'm not saying that's likely, but really think about that. If Missouri wins that game and maybe goes on a run, heck, that team was so good they could have made their first Final Four appearance in school history. You think that's not impossible at all. It's not even close to being hard to believe. Even if they just go Sweet 16, you don't think that would have given Frank Haith a lot more rope? So obviously a devastating loss for him. But, you know, again, the other side of it, that's what's great about college basketball. It's what's great about sports is just seeing these moments where somebody like Kyle O'Quinn, somebody like the other guards for Norfolk State can just have these incredible moments that they're going to remember for the rest of their lives. Most of these guys aren't going to go on to play professional basketball like O'Quinn has. But, and again, you know, just, geez, that Tom – we're reading that his dad, Tommy, died in a car accident in 2015. Again, that just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. I just wasn't expecting to read that sad news after seeing this, you know, this guy who was, I believe, 70, 69 years old or something like that at the time, who was so full of life. So not a real brilliant conclusion here from me other than, hey, gratitude, people. Just always be grateful for what you have, the people that you have. Some basic stuff, but an important message to keep in mind anyway. So again, just wanted to leave you with a little bit of something different other than woe is us Missouri fans here at the end. So you know what? Thanks for joining me on this little bit different edition of Locked on Mizzou. Thanks for making this your first listen. Whenever you get a chance, get more of the SEC, by the way, by making Locked on SEC your second listen. Every day, host Chris Gordy and the local experts of Locked On take you across the SEC in 30 minutes. Make Locked On SEC your second listen. That's Locked On SEC. So until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou. Mizzou.